0: Good evening, it's the Friday before our holiday feast where we get together and say thanks for all the things that we have that we're lucky for and we are going to be discussing a film from the late 60s that's uh, set upon uh, that theme there of Breaking Bread with Friends. So if you will, please grab your seats. The show is about to begin. Well, hi-de-ho there, uh, Toppy, my nerd brother, my partner in crime. How are you doing this wonderful fall evening?
1: Uh, Over the river and through the woods, I'm just fine, uh, fine and dandy. By the way, no sign of uh, snow here today. It was in the
0: uh, mid-50s.
1: It may have even been in the 60s today.
0: You know, I think it's kind of like when somebody washes their car, it's just bound to rain right after. I'm uh, in an older home, and, uh, well, we've already gone about putting that winter plastic on the window, so of course it was going to get warmer out. (laughs) So uh, it's uh, going to be a holiday just around the corner here. And, uh, you know, this year we were not able to break bread together in person. But i have got plenty of uh, fond memories of this time of year to to help us get through. And, uh, you know, I'm reminded of one year when uh, Mama Star Sage, she went to get the turkey ready. And Mama never got the fresh turkeys. You know, we weren't fancy. It was always the frozen one. She'd leave it in the sink to, to thaw. And, uh, well, that year we found out the bird was um, bad when it got unthawed. So we had the chicken in a bucket that year. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it it was just uh, a memory that I'll carry on forever. <laughs> because we must have gotten the last of the batch from the restaurant that day because it was super salty and it put us off going there for a while. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, that stuff. uh,
1: There's just some things in the fast food and even frozen dinners have this just maniacal amount of salt and uh, holy Jesus, like that DiGiorno pizza. (laughs) good God, you might as well just order a, a
0: thing of Morton's salt and eat that. Jeepers. Now, in Pickle Hollow Toppy, are you folks one to have the bird on the plate, or are you guys uh, the, the piggy with the apple?
1: Oh, it, it's the bird. It's uh. always the bird. Yeah, very very traditional. The most... We don't do anything terribly different. Um, the 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 only two really really personal dishes we have is is a homemade uh cranberry sauce mm. um that's that's ground um through a grinder that the, the berries are put through the grinder mm-hmm. along with apples sugar and oranges
0: oh do you do and,
1: the, do you do the zest on it yeah, yeah. oh yeah So it's very good. And the other personal dish is it's uh, these uh, sweet potato croquettes um, where you uh, mash the sweet potatoes. You get a mound of it. You poke in a marshmallow and then you roll it in cornflake crumbs Mm. and uh, heat them up. (laughs) Um, And not one year has that dreadful green bean casserole. (laughs) Uh, ever shown its
0: face here. <laughs> you know, if there weren't a pandemic on, I think I'd be making your, my way over to your neck of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, hubby Billy, he tends to like the ham a little more. Um, although we, we, he did have the, uh, the fortune of having, a uh, family members in the grocery business. And, uh, just as you were saying, uh, there are some dishes that have been passed down. Most, uh, you know, uh, prominently the most favorite one is this dish that's basically smoked oysters and oh, yeah. it's in a, uh, a a loaf pan. So like you'd make bread, but it's simply nothing more than oysters and lots of cracker crumbs with butter. Mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. feel my arm, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Some people put oysters right in the stuffing. Ah, uh, well, speaking of uh, oysters in the stuffing, turkey in the straw, maybe? Uh, we've got a showgirl that's hanging out around here. I'm hoping that she's not sipping the wild turkey again.
1: How'd you know? <laughs> I feel great.
0: I'm oh, sure boy. you do. Hey, uh, could you tot on down to the stairs for us, Missy? And, um, you know, put on those feathers. Do your turkey dance. We're going to get the show going. Okie doke!
1: Poor Arlo seems to always be in the wrong place at the wrong time. While away at college, he's kicked out of a diner for disturbing peace, that naughty boy. Once back home, he's invited to an old school friend's new home, an old church, for Thanksgiving dinner. Then he's arrested for taking out the trash. Wrong place, wrong time. So grab a tie-dye out of the closet and some rose-colored glasses. Join us and feast upon nostalgia. It's time for Alice's Restaurant. Get it, boys!
2: What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies and a
0: smidgen of screaming. Time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Tommy. Well, yay! Yeah, uh, and
1: if anybody thought tonight we were going to talk about uh, the movie that inspired uh, Alice on TV, uh, the restaurant with the uh, bell and Alice and Kiss whoever. My Grits, yeah, Kiss My Grits. Sorry. No, no, no. That movie was called Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. She sure does. It was a Martin Scorsese movie that inexplicably got turned into a sitcom that ran for five million years. So we are not doing
0: we are not doing that. Although there is a little eye candy in that, so we might have a, a reason to visit that again someday. Uh, <clears throat> okay, which one? The movie or the series? Oh, the movie. Chris Christopherson was not in the series. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> so, Toppy, we have a movie we're going to talk about tonight, and I think we should let our folks know a little bit more about it, don't you? Absolutely.
1: that funny smell. What funny
2: smell? It's all about that beautiful Thanksgiving dinner, which produced an incredible, amazing pile of garbage, which we tried real hard to dump at the dump. And which we ended up dumping off the side of a road. Where we were caught red-handed by some local citizens and eventually confronted by none other than Officer Obie himself. Kid, we found your name on an envelope at the bottom of a half a ton of garbage. Just
1: want to know if you had any information
2: about it. Well, yes, sir, Officer Obi. I cannot tell a lie. I put that envelope under that garbage. Both well, under arrest. <laughs> about the subsequent full-scale police investigation, complete with five police officers, three police cars, one police dog, and 27 8x10 colored glossy photographs with a paragraph on the back of each one, used as evidence at the subsequent trial, which resulted in my conviction. A black mark on my record, which eventually led me to my problems with the draft. I mean, I mean, I'm sitting here on the Group W bench because you want cause you to know if I'm moral enough to join the Army, burn women, kids, houses, children, and villages after being a litter bug. Can, we don't like your kind. We're going to send your fingerprints off to Washington. So I'm inviting all of you to meet me and Alice and Ray and Officer Obi and all kinds of groovy people doing all kinds of groovy things that are all part of the Alice's Restaurant anti-massacre movement that you can join by digging this film or by singing the song in four part harmony with feeling. You can get anything you want at Alice's restaurant. You can get anything you want at Alice's
1: restaurant.
0: Okay, so that was a uh, late 60s folk song, and it's a, uh, been turned into a film. A Feast for Your Eyes, that's our topic of discussion tonight. Came out in 69, it did. Let's all talk a little bit like
1: Ila Guthrie. Came out in 69, it did. And yes, Uh, tell us what was going on in 69.
0: DJ, set the stage for us. All right, the uh, U.S. in 1969. In 1969, Elvis Presley, the King of Rock and Roll, he recorded his first rock album in more than 5 years. His last album had been a gospel release and he did this in Memphis. CBS Green Lights, The Peanuts Comic, you know Snoopy and Charlie Brown as a primetime TV series. It ran 1 season. Bam. Richard Nixon, Tricky Dick, is sworn in as the 37th president of the U.S. And uh, there's quite a few things here, so bear with us a moment. Uh, We've got uh, in uh, 69, Boeing, their 747, their most popular aircraft, makes its maiden flight from Payne Field at Everett, Washington. It was the beginning of a new era A teenager known as Robert R., and this is something we didn't learn until uh, into the 80s. Uh, Robert R. died in St. Louis, Missouri, battling a medical condition. Now, in 84, he was identified as the first confirmed case of HIV-AIDS in North America, and that happened way back in the 60s. In, uh, let's see, so in uh, in 69, Shirley Chisholm, she appeared before Congress to speak about prejudices facing women in the workforce and the need for equal rights for women, and she was one of the first African-American women elected to Congress. In 69 also, a very important year, is a Stonewall riots in New York City. Marked the start of the modern gay rights movement in the U.S. And uh, here I sit before you, a, an example of what could come. I share a house with my husband of almost a decade. Uh, the Apollo 11 mission landed first on the, or the first man on the moon in 69. Also in 69, well, it's a, a music uh, history here. The Woodstock Music Festival is held over three days has 32 music acts in August that year, that summer. Right when Alice's Restaurant was released, uh, Woodstock was happening in upstate New York. And there is audience of attendees of 400,000 who were learning today. We went back and checked the evidence, and that's how many were there. The first automatic teller ATM machine in the United States was installed in the town of Rockville center in good old New York. And, uh, well,
1: I, but that's really startles me. I wonder if there were anything like the machines we have today.
0: Hmm. I I'm sure it probably didn't have cameras yet. No. Uh, <laughs> and just a handful of other things to round out. 1969 bet. You didn't know the Brady bunch premiered on ABC in 69 in that fall. Well, they were a groovy family. Yeah. And uh, the, the Megalomarts, the Walmarts, the uh, the vests that are blue, they incorporated officially as Walmart stores incorporated in 1969 uh, over there in Arkansas. And uh, Sesame Street first came onto television in 69. And then the last event uh, marking the beginning of a new era of fashion, the first Gap store opened in San Francisco in 69. Whoa, Fall into that gap, man. By the way, pretty sure
1: uh, I, I, I doubt I saw the premiere of Sesame Street, uh, but I would have been watching it very, very, very soon after. Isn't it interesting that I was watching Dark Shadows before I was watching Central <laughs> History? What
0: was wrong with me? God oh, Lord! that might explain a few things. Yes,
1: exactly. <laughs> so we did have some celebrity bites. Uh, Marilyn Manson, for one, the musician. Aaron Eisenberg. Uh, an actor, you uh, credit him with uh, Deep Space Nine, uh, DJ, what did who? What character did he
0: play? He was the casino bar host's nephew, so um, Quark's nephew, Rom, who became the first Ferengi to join Starfleet. He's deceased? And, yeah, he had some kidney troubles in more recent years, had a transplant, and I believe it was last year we lost him... Uh, in okay. his in his early 50s with a family at home. Mm. So also that year Twas born Jason Bateman.
1: We're all sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> Bo I'm sorry. Uh, Bo Biden, son of US president elect and uh, we all know Bo Biden is deceased. Actress Jennifer Aniston. Ches Bo- Bono, son of uh, Cher and Sonny um, Connor Trenier, an actor, uh, from
0: another Star Trek show, Star Trek Enterprise. What character did he play? He was the, uh, the chief engineer, Trip Tucker, Charles Trip Tucker, the third. Oh, I liked him. Uh, Mariah Carey singer
1: was born in 69. So was Kim Fields, actress. She was in the facts of life. Tootie. Jennifer, Jennifer Lopez. Uh, Actress and singer, Christian Slater, actor, uh, Donnie Wahlberg, a singer and actor, Matthew Perry, another actor, Jack Black, uh, actor, and Nancy Kerrigan, uh, the famous, well, skater who was in the Olympics and got her knees batted in. I'm sorry, That was a terrible (laughs) thing to say. Anyways. Uh, she, she uh, skated her way into Olympic history uh, what was in the theaters that was competing against Alice's restaurant I'd
0: like to actually give you a, a, a little clip here, a taste of the, uh, the man behind the story of this film Arlo Guthrie, a folk singer and this is a brief moment with Tom Brokaw about 10 years ago he's speaking about his thoughts on Vietnam what
2: did you think about Vietnam? My idea was that, basically, how are we supposed to be going around telling other people what to do when we weren't doing things right here? Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to remember, in the context of the times the Civil Rights Movement was going on, there were people who couldn't vote in this country, and yet we were going over there telling those folks what to do and how to do it, and this is the, this is the right way. So I thought that was kind of an odd uh, thing to be saying.
0: Okay, so in 1969, because Alice's Restaurant was a film, now, um, it actually was kind of an art house film. It wasn't a a wide you know, release in theaters. It was number 21 in the box office. It only brought in 6 million. But, um, do you get your mind into the time frame of 1969? Here are the hits of the box office. Number one was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Now, that starred Mr. Paul Newman and Robert Redford, both some uh, nice, uh, samples of manhood to look at. And, uh... Let's see. That brought in 29 million, number two at the box office that year, and uh, it's a fa- it's a favorite of mine as well. It's a Disney film, The Love Bug, with Dean Jones and Buddy Hackett. That brought in 21 <coughs> my, million. My parents took my brother and I in our own little Love Bug. We had a,
1: a Beetle, Volkswagen Beetle, and they took us to the drive-in, and we saw The Love Bug. Oh. I remember vividly. <laughs>
0: Number three was Midnight Cowboy. Now that introduced us to uh, Dustin Hoffman. Actually, it might have been his second film. Yeah, this was not his first. Uh, the the uh, the Graduate was his first, I believe. That's right. And uh, John Voight. Now, uh, Midnight Cowboy, number three, brought in twenty point five million. And just to put your mind into uh, where Alice's Restaurant sat in the box office that year, well. The film that did one better, number 20 in the box office, was a film that had Mr. Richard Burton and Clint Eastwood, so some staples of the uh, the wide, Wild West films. He was in a film called Where Eagles Dare, brought in $7.1 million. And then the film that was just a rung below Alice's Restaurant at number 22 is a film that starred Ian McShane and our favorite, Suzanne Plachette, and it was number 22 called If It's Tuesday, This Must Be Belgium. Hmm, Very good.
1: Now, I just want to say hi to the chat room. Thanks for joining us. We've got uh, Aunt Tudor and your husband, Billy. And we have uh, Logan. We have Maren Gertz and Tommy Knockers. I mean, Tommy Hashbrowns. <laughs> our friend joining us. And um, uh, we're always happy uh, that you're joining us and uh, making us feel like we're actually talking to someone. So thank you so much. The story of Alice's Restaurant is purported to be true as Arlo Guthrie lived it. Um, He really did uh, in uh, November of 1965 in Massachusetts where he was on a Thanksgiving break from a brief stint in college. And he and his friend, Richard Robbins, really were arrested for illegally dumping garbage on private property. And uh, the garbage came from the home of his friends, Ray and Alice Brock. Um, and he wanted to do them a favor and remove, you know, like a month's worth of trash from the place take it to the dump but the local landfill was closed cuz it was thanksgiving and uh, they just found a place uh, at the side of the road down a ravine where they saw other garbage dumped and figured let's dump our garbage here they were caught and they were arrested and they they did have to appear in a court and uh, they were fined a nominal fee and told that they had to pick up the garbage, and then take care of it in a proper way. So all that part is true. Um, uh, like many artists, you know, um, who was who were writing songs at that time, they used experiences in their real life uh, as inspiration, and Aretha Guthrie did too. And uh, he really did have a friend. Um, Alice Brock, who had a restaurant and um, incorporated her into the story. Uh, But most of the movie and the things that happen in the movie are complete inventions from the mind of Arthur Penn, who created and directed the movie. And Arthur Penn was a resident of Massachusetts, where this movie takes place. And he loved the song. And because the song told a story, he wanted to make a movie out of that story. And he didn't have to try very hard at all to get Arlo Guthrie to be in it and portray himself. We'll, we'll talk just a, a little bit about Arthur Penn. He, like, he directed the movie and, and really is the, the person responsible in every way for bringing it to the screen. He simply heard the song and loved it. And he was also a resident of the same area um, where uh, Alice's restaurant was. So he just became enamored with it and wanted to make a movie. And he did want it to be socially relevant. And uh, henceforth, the anti-drug message in the movie, the anti-war message in the movie intermixed with the funny story of dumping the garbage and being arrested Uh, but other works um, Arthur Penn is known for uh, just before he did Alice's Restaurant he did Bonnie and Clyde in 1967 and before that he did The Miracle Worker in 1962 Hmm. So, uh, and he had uh, a career that uh, went on and he did uh, many other movies besides that. And he, he, he uh, you know, I th- I'd say his early work was very innovative and there's a lot to admire about the direction of Alice's Restaurant. Um, it had a, a, a pretty low budget but he made the most of it. And there are some stunning sequences that he shot. And it was a very, I mean, this, this was not a Hollywood movie. Penn was, was really uh, flying by the seat of his pants when he did this. For example, there's a scene in a graveyard where, where it's snowing. That ain't fake. It was really snowing. And they just went out there with the cameras, and they shot it. And they had to do it fast, and everything had to be set up. So he had a great crew working for him. And he just knew how to do this stuff. And he knew how to do it really well. Um, And so there's a very... How do I want to say? You just feel like when when you're watching... Alice's Restaurant it seems unrehearsed it seems spontaneous you get it feels real the locations feel real because they were and uh, that was all that was all Arthur Penn so mm. I think an amazing amazing work. What. Did you think about the movie DJ?
0: Well, um, you know, this is where we're going to tell you about parts of the movie that made an impression on us, things that you take away from your experience. And uh, an important aside I want to share with our listeners is, uh, you know, there's a a handful of you here in the chat room as we're doing our live show here. Uh, Of course, you can see the video on YouTube, but uh, if you're listening to this as a podcast, there are some perks to following us on social media. Now, if you're on Facebook, look for our Facebook group, Matinee Minutia. We have some... Uh, you know, kind of exclusives in there. And one of those is a watch party, which is what you do when you get together with friends during this thing that we call the pandemic. We watch something online together and we share our thoughts. Well, we had a watch party with Alice's Restaurant not too long ago. So some of the discussion here is going to be from that experience. Now, I watched this just before we did our watch party. Uh, just so I could pay a little bit more of attention. And I certainly felt that that second viewing was kind of important because uh, this is, you know, an independent film and kind of an art house film. And I got a better sense of perspective that second time. It kind mm-hmm. of moves a little quickly. So if you don't pay attention, you don't realize there's a reason why we've changed settings. So in the beginning of the story, he is away at school. And he gets into a fight at a diner he's picked on about his long hair. And after he's kicked out of the diner, well, he's subsequently kicked out of school. Uh, and, uh, you know, you don't uh, realize, oh, he went back home. And, oh, these are his, you know, his friends that he grew up with. So, I, you know, I, um, I enjoyed the film. And uh, certainly... Um, some of the things that happened in the film are things that still happen today, so it's still relevant. I mean, you have that couple that bought a church, and we got to see them perform the last service there. They literally came in right after the service to walk around to think about what they were going to do to the place. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, this is something that's becoming popular nowadays with uh, affordable real estate. People are buying places that weren't designed to be a, a residence, and they're using their imagination to reinvent the place. Also, culturally, at the time, they uh, the rest the uh, uh,
1: the church was not where the restaurant was located, but the church. You know, the other idea behind the church is it was they wanted a crash pad for their extended family, mm-hmm. which are all these other uh, people. In their age group, that shared that sensibility of the late '60s, early '70s of uh, hanging out together, dropping out of society, um, smoking the dope, smoking the reefer, and uh, and just hanging out and grooving together, and uh, you know. A lot of uh, sexual mingling and all that going on. Mm-hmm. So that was just, um, that was really one of the, re- the reasons mm-hmm. for the churches <laughs> that gave them the space to do that.
0: Hmm. All right, so we are about halfway through tonight's show. We're going to trot on over here to our concession stand, where our senior showgirl is going to be offering up some treats. You got those turkey uh, kebabs there, ma'am?
1: No, but I got these candy dots that are laced with LSD. <laughs>
0: oh, what a trip. <laughs> All righty, folks, so we're going to uh, entertain you here for a moment. And this is an interview with Arlo Guthrie on television. Um, He is talking to a uh, reporter from a Milwaukee TV station just before concert appearance. And here he is talking about the uh, story behind Alice's Restaurant, as you may have just heard. I was at a show in
2: Oshkosh, Wisconsin. had to be 15 years ago and people were yelling out requests as they do, and someone said, Alice's Restaurant, and you said, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you went a long time without really playing that regularly. Now you're back out with the 50th anniversary. Uh, you're, you're singing it every night. What's that experience been like, sharing that with the fans again? Well, you know, uh, Alice came out as a record in 67, uh, and it was really uh, successful, uh, all, all all across the board. We actually sold more records through the PX, through the military, than we did through the regular record stores. So it was very popular uh, with people across the board, regardless of political, uh, you know, uh, or social or economic factors. But in the mid-70s, by the time the mid-70s had rolled around, the draft was over, the war was winding down, vets were coming home, it was a different time. And so I uh, uh, took it off the set list because it was just so long. It was, you know, basically 20 minutes. And then people complained and they'd come to the show and they'd say, he did not the same place. I want my money back. And so we'd say, okay, give him his money back. Don't come back. And, uh, <laughs> that was the remedy? That was right. the remedy. But, you know, after a while I realized that we could, even though we couldn't do it every night, uh, it didn't mean that we couldn't do it all together at some point, so every 10 years, we do about a two-year tour, uh, which is the next decade, and uh, so here we are at the 50th, which is the big one, and uh, I started writing this in 1965 in November, and here we are, uh 50 years later just about to the day and it'll be out on the road with us for a while and everybody that uh, I asked not to come back is going to come back They're and they'll gonna- be happy this time <laughs> and uh it'll be a lot of fun you know i think this genre of music more than any other it's a it's a generational thing you pass things down your father to you. I know Abe's toured with you for many years. Your daughter's, is she out on tour with you? Yeah, this time? she is, you know? my daughter, Sarah so, Lee. So I just wonder is that a reason for you to still be out here to be able to continue to share that with them? I think the reason I'm out here is because I remember making a conscious decision when I was 18 that I was not going to know how to do anything else. Because my mom had said, you know, Harlow, if you want to be a singer, that's fine, but audiences can be fickle. You ought to know how to do something else. And I remember thinking, if I follow her advice, if it ever gets tough, I'll do something else. But if I don't know how to do anything else, I'll stick with this. And so I went against her wishes, and I burned every bridge to everything I could possibly <laughs> do otherwise, except maybe be a bartender or some. And and I'm still doing it. And the times did get tough at times, you know, like every, like in everybody's life. It goes up, it goes down. And we've got through it uh, basically because I think we just decided not, or I decided not to do anything else.
0: And we are back. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, um, I, I was thinking about what you said about the, the real life Alice and how she got... Um, kind of um, disenchanted about running the restaurant after the song came out um, I, was, I felt that the character in the film she was conflicted only in the sense that it told part of the story she was somebody who was going through life and trying to experience the best of the times free love, peace you know, uh, gathering with your friends, but at the same time somebody's got to pay the bills. So what does she do? She opens a restaurant, and it turns out she's a pretty decent cook. I mean, she's turned out some pretty tasty-looking cakes. And as the song says, you can get anything you want at Alice's restaurant. I mean, the... um The local, I think, radio station started to try to describe some of the things on the menu. And, of course, uh, it wasn't American fare, so they had some trouble with some of the foreign-sounding things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, Alice was trying to live through the times, but at the same time be responsible. So somebody from that period might have called her a sellout because she had to... uh, you know, she had to work for the man and that man was herself. Yeah. And there's
1: a, a scene in the movie where she rebels cause she's doing all the work while everyone else is having fun. And she basically throws the towel, throws in the towel and uh, visits Arlo Guthrie when he's in some other town, presumably New York city. They didn't really make that clear, but he had like a crash pad. I, th- I think in New York city, Mm-hmm. Um and she just goes there and, and stays with Arlo Guthrie for a while because she's just so sick of her husband and or I, th- I don't think they were married yet, uh, but the, her boyfriend, and she's sick of carrying the weight of the restaurant. there's there was uh, much truth to that. Um, they were not uh, happily boyfriend and girlfriend. There was a lot of conflict in their real life. And as a matter of fact, when Alice's restaurant was being filmed, the real life Alice and Ray were finalizing their divorce. Oh. Uh, so, uh, and, and the movie shows this fairly up front that they are conflicted. Um, and and uh, the last shot of Alice on the steps of the church as the camera pulls away. And she's still in her kind of tattered wedding dress. And the camera just keeps pulling back and pulling back. And she's just standing there looking out, watching Arlo Guthrie leave. And what an incredible ending shot. Uh, The credits start rolling. And the camera just keeps pulling back, keeps pulling back. Alice gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's apparently was meant to convey that that was a very uh, seminal period of life that is done with. And as was truly the case, I don't know if she ever saw Arlo Guthrie again in person and, they were such good friends, but it ended. And the kind of the, the, the communal life ended. And this movie did not try to show uh, the counterculture with like, ha, 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 here we are. Everything's great. We're all perfect people. No, they weren't perfect people. And the movie showed this. And a lot of the time, they're not even happy. They're just normal human beings with problems and conflicts. And that's one of the things I like most about it is that, yes, it does show that time of life when, you know, you think it's like, uh, let's drop some acid and chill out. Yeah, but it didn't mean everything was uh, roses. And I I think this movie did that really well.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I was going to ask you, Toppy, uh, there is a character in the film who joins the rest of them a little bit later. Um, they they sort of, you know, tell their story by the fact that they were maybe getting out of rehab. This is a person who had an addiction problem, and they uh, he was a friend of Alice whose name was Shelley. Now, were you under the impression that maybe Shelley knew or I'm sorry Alice knew Shelley before Ray and maybe he was possibly the one who got away
1: well I, I, i'm not sure if uh but they did have an affair apparently mm-hmm. uh Alice had an affair with Shelley um and they had a thing yeah and certainly what we see really the only thing we see is Shelley's jealousy. Mm-hmm. We see that uh, that's very plainly shown. He's very jealous of Ray and the relationship he has with Alice. <clears throat> and, you know, I always wondered the, the the anti-drug message almost seemed like you know, we can't do a movie that glorifies drugs, or almost like Arthur Penn may have been afraid to. And it almost seemed like, mm, I, I just can't do this movie without having this message that drugs are bad. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But uh, they, they're clearly shown smoking reefer throughout the movie. And uh, uh, Shelly is, is clearly on something like heroin, mm-hmm. uh, from what I see. And, and that's, the, that's the drugs are bad message. It's reserved for heroin. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I, I'm curious about, I'm curious about its inclusion in the movie. Like, did, did they feel like they had to, did producers pressure them? I don't know.
0: Hmm. But yeah, the, the ending scene of the film, if you get to, to watch Alice's restaurant, it's a, it's available practically public domain at this point. But, um, you know, Alice is left standing outside of the church, which, of course, is now her home because they've moved in and they've uh, started uh, putting their own, uh, you know, comforts into the place. But uh, the the bride is quite literally sta- left standing at the altar because even though she and her uh, longtime common law husband, Ray, have now gotten legally hitched, She's standing outside the church at the end of the film, cause Arlo has left with his girlfriend, and that was another one of those moments. There was an awkward silence cause Arlo was there with his lady, and just something is not right between Ray and Alice, and they sort of quietly slip away.
1: Yeah, they're clearly they're they're like ready to go. They're not they're they're not uh what would be a great hippie word for they weren't I can't think of one. So, anyways, they weren't jiving with the action man. They weren't. So they they
0: wanted that. They there wanted were, to get. They
1: wanted to get out of
0: there. There were bad vibes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so and uh, so we are coming up on the the folks that made this possible. The people that were in the cast. Toppy, uh, tell us a little about the star, if you will.
1: All right. Uh, Yeah, this is where we're doing the deep dive. There's a hell of a lot to say about Arlo Guthrie. But before we talk about him, uh, we got to talk about his dad, Woody Guthrie. Woody Guthrie. And he was born in 1912. And he was a very, very famous American singer uh, and songwriter. And he's considered to be like, one of the biggest guys in American Western folk music. And uh, he uh, was in Oklahoma when we had a little something that we called the Dust Bowl, which uh, happened when Oklahoma farmers were subsidized by the government to plow, 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 plant, 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 And ditched their old horses for modern tractors. And by God, they cut down everything on their property to make room for the fields. And they plowed the hell out of the earth. And then they had a drought. And all of that soil blew away. And this caused a mass exodus from Oklahoma because they were literally starving to death. And they went, They because they are farmers, they went to another big farmland which was California where they were put into little huts and then they starved there. So not a pretty time for America. And it was, that was his formative experience as uh, just a human being. He left his family in oklahoma to just go and try to make a living but he took his guitar along with him and through it all he was writing uh, folk music he was singing songs about his experience um and uh, he wrote hundreds of country folk children's songs And many improvised works. So we're talking, he was a a major creative force who recorded this really horrible time in America's history. So he had some kids. They were all musical. Arlo Guthrie was one of them. And by the time he was a kid or a teenager and his formative experience was Vietnam and the counterculture that had developed in that era, uh, which was uh, pretty much, uh, we're going to grow our hair real long, we're not going to do what our parents say, and we're going to protest the Vietnam War. And uh, just like his dad, Guthrie wrote music about this time in American history. So um, his... uh, most famous song oh by the way his father's most famous song was a little something you might have heard of it was called This Land Is Your Land and uh, Woody Guthrie said he wrote that in response to the horrible overplaying of Irvin Irvin Burling's God Bless America and those two songs couldn't be more different in their message um, because of of Woody's experience in suffering through the Dust Bowl, uh, all he saw were people starving, and the American government didn't do too much about it. So anyways, back to Arlo. His best known work is Alice's Restaurant. It was his very first song. So this is one of those careers where his most famous work was his very first work, and he always had to live up to it. Um, and consequently, he decided at some point, I, I ain't gonna be singing Alice. I ain't gonna be singing Alice's restaurant no more. I'll do it once every 10 years, and that's it. <laughs> That's what he did for quite a while Because he had other things he wanted to sing But everybody wanted to hear Alice's Restaurant His other big song was a cover of Steve Goodman's City of New Orleans And um, that's that's really a, a beautiful song too And that, that really made it big on the radio And the rest um, basically show sentiments of the time Uh, From the counterculture that was going on that Guthrie was part of where, you know, they were against the war. They were in a very, um, they were into group living situations or communes. and, um, And it was all very very groovy man. And uh, so that's uh, that's the long and short of Alice's Restaurant. And very shortly after it was released, um, Arlo Guthrie marched right over to Woodstock, where he played Alice's Restaurant that very same year and went down in history. Um, but before his retirement, he released eighteen studio albums, and performed his entire life. Uh, and uh, he he remained a political activist his whole life, and he he carried on the legacy of his father Woody. In 1992, Arlo Guthrie was awarded the Peace Abbey Courage of Conscious, Conscience Award. Uh. And um, and uh,
0: but he'll always be remembered
1: primarily for Alice's restaurant.
0: Okay, So continuing on with the cast of Alice's restaurant, we have uh, the lady who is playing Arlo's school friend, uh, Alice, who ran the restaurant in town there. And uh, she was played by Patricia Quinn. And uh, Miss Patricia Quinn is a Pennsylvania-born actress, and uh, she got her start in guest appearances on the Richard Chamberlain '60s TV series, Doctor Kildare. Well, Quinn, who was briefly romantically linked with Marlon Brando in the '70s, so just after the wasn't spin-
1: everybody. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, He knew the best restaurants, I hear. Uh, Alice's Restaurant was her first leading role in a film. Now, in 71, she starred in Zachariah. It was a Western with future Miami Vice star Don Johnson. And she also did a Western with Gregory Peck called Shootout. You'll shoot your eye out. No, it's not the same one. Uh, Ah. In the 70s, she had a series of guest appearances on such TV shows as Banachek, and, uh, of course, fan favorite The Waltons, and McCloud. McCloud! And her most recent film was starring opposite 80s uh, film star, who once got to be the uh, dark knight there, Mr. Michael Keaton. This was a film called clean and sober. And in 88, she was uh, the film's leading uh, love interest. Very good. That's Patricia Quinn playing, uh, played Alice. Now
1: the real life, Alice, this, you know, this happens, you know, you, you think you write a song about someone and, and you think everything's groovy, man. But it turned out Alice is, just did not like the song. She, the real Alice, that is. She resented Arlo Guthrie pretty much for the rest of their life. I don't think they ever made up. Uh, she hate, ended up hating the uh, the people that would come to the restaurant just because of the song. And the movie, it interfered with everything, and she ended up being so disgusted, she just got out of the restaurant. And so, you know, that's kind of a, that's really too bad, you know, you got to say. But it is what happened. Uh, It just, um, she felt it didn't bring anything to her life, and she regretted very much the whole thing. But we'll go on to uh who played the actor who played her uh her her husband in the movie and that's james broderick now all through you know i i saw this movie a long time ago and uh uh, I think James Broderick gives a, a great performance in this movie. He's very professional, unlike Arlo Guthrie, who is clearly an amateur when it came to acting in this movie. But James Broderick uh, and Patricia Quinn were, were both, you know, they were trained actors. James Broderick, I always said, first of all, never made the connection to being the father of... Uh, Uh, What the hell? Oh, Matthew. Matthew Broderick. Never made that connection until uh, researching this movie. Just never made the connection. I I always felt like I've seen this guy before. I know I've seen this guy before, but I never saw anything else he was ever in. Finally, again, because of this movie, the damn thing I remember him for is his uh, four-year-long role in a TV series in the 70s 76 to 1980 and i want to know if anyone in the chat room knows uh, this was a popular drama hour long 76 to 80 james broderick was one of the main characters and I just, uh, you guys think about it in the chat room. I'll reveal it at the end of the shoe if uh, DJ reminds me. <laughs> <laughs> so so get to, get to thinking there in the chat room. Uh, uh, but also, uh, he, he was uh, mostly a theatrical actor. He started appearing in television shows in the 50s. And uh, he would have been seen in something called Brenner. A 1950s CBS series about a senior police officer and his rookie son. I wonder if he played the rookie son. He had to have because he would have been very young. In the uh, and then uh, his other big role is in the mystery. Oh, that Tommy! Did he give Tommy Hashbrown's got it
0: right away? Oh, yeah. He was indeed the father in family. Oh well, the right answer gets a round of applause. There you go. And you know, Toppy, we talked about a movie at the beginning of this season, or actually I think it was last year. I'm uh, losing times; I'm getting older, of course. But uh, yeah. you know, uh, we lost James Broderick uh, before his time, and um, as uh, he was in Failing Health, his son Matthew was actually starring in his first film role with Marsha Mason and James Robards in um, Max Dugan Returns. So uh, you know, there there's a little bit of a connection there. We talked about uh Matthew Broderick's first film when uh Father James was uh in his last days there. Tommy <laughs> says he wants roses for <laughs> guessing guessing uh <laughs> that it was family. We are at the point where uh we're gonna tell you some other things that you might enjoy if you liked Alice's restaurant. And I will go first on that. Now, of course, Alice's restaurant is set in the time frame of Thanksgiving, uh, a holiday here in the North Americas where we uh, are thankful. We uh, have gotten through another harvest season and uh, we're getting ready for the winter. Well, it means something different here in 2020, but it's still important that we remind our loved ones that we can get through things together. Now, uh, a couple of films that I'm going to recommend to you, if you're looking for something set in that vein of Thanksgiving time frame, this is a film from my Ute, and uh, it came out in 87. It's got uh, comedy uh, well-known actor John Candy and Steve Martin, it takes place at Thanksgiving time. It's Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's a, a bittersweet film as you get into it. Um, John Candy is a traveling salesman and uh, he's been through a hardship when he comes into contact with Steve Martin. And uh, another film that I would recommend, uh, I'm not even sure it got put onto DVD, but it stars Married with Children's Ed O'Neill, who, of course, is more. Recent years in, um, oh, it's a, a long-running uh, sitcom about families. I'm forgetting the name right now. But in 91, he did a film called Dutch. Kind of like the uh, the Mary Jane that uh, smoked a lot in scenes of this movie. But uh, in Dutch, Ed O'Neill's character is a, uh, a working-class man, meaning that he has worked hard for his money. And uh, his girlfriend has a boy in school. And uh, it's um, kind of a a reform school or a a prep school, if you will. So the kid is, uh, you know, uh, sort of born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Well... The new boyfriend, played by Ed O'Neill, gets to pick up the spoiled little brat at his prep school. And the little brat is not having the new boyfriend. So they spend some quality time because, uh, well, one of them loses their wallet and they might have to hitchhike. (laughs) And it happens at Thanksgiving because they're going home for dinner with mom. And it's called Dutch from 1991. Excellent. Uh, Your husband, Billy
1: just mentioned a movie that uh, uh, for him uh, is uh, reminiscent of of this era he said uh, Harold and Maude and you and I have both mentioned Harold and Maude as a movie we want to do here on uh, this little shoe Uh, it's one of my absolute all-time favorite movies ever Ever, ever. I also want to thank um, Maren Gertz for just giving us uh, so many interesting insights tonight in the chat room. Thank you, Maren. Um, uh, I, I want to just back up a minute because there are just a couple things that I really wanted to get in about the movie that I think are super interesting. Um, very briefly, Uh, There were other characters in the movie that played themselves, and you wouldn't know it unless you read about it. But believe it or not, the sheriff in the damn movie is the real sheriff that arrested Arlo Guthrie. He played himself, which is kind of unbelievable because he sort of is made a buffoon in the movie to some extent. And people asked him about that. Why would you allow yourself to be in this movie and to be made kind of a jackass? And he's he's famous for saying, well, I thought if anyone's going to make a jackass out of me, it might as well be me. (laughs) So, uh, But that was the real sheriff playing Hmm. himself. The other character that played himself is the the judge (laughs) in real life. He was the judge that presided over the case. And he really was blind because there's a scene of him leaving the courtroom with his guide dog. Uh, But so that's interesting. Also, Maren Gertz mentioned uh, many cameos, uh, Pete Seeger being one of the main ones. Uh, And also there's some. Oh, yes. Tommy Hash Browns. M. Emmett Walsh makes his film debut in this movie in a small role. But by God, you can't mistake him. That's him. Um, And uh, there's a couple of others. There's a woman that sings a song in the graveyard. That's I can't remember her name, but she she was a a country folk singer at the time.
0: Oh, um, well, the, Uh, the, the
1: song itself was written by Joni Mitchell. Yeah, she wrote the song, but that wasn't Joni Mitchell in the movie. Right. But it was a real life. Yeah. Um, and I'm just trying to th- think. I'm trying to think. Pete Seeger, GGG, there were others. Uh, there were lots of um, cameos, I guess you would say. Oh, Alice herself had a cameo in the movie. Hmm. Um, so anyways, I wanted to get that in because I just, you just never, I, I, I found it hard to believe that that's the damn that's the damn real sheriff right there. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I'm going to recommend uh, *Beauzire*. It's another example of uh, of that era and that counterculture, and it's a super important movie of its day. It was also made the very same year, uh, 1969. *Easy Rider*. And that was a, a, a road movie uh, that was independently made. And it was written by Peter Fonda, uh, Dennis Hopper, and Terry Southern. And Fonda produced it. Hopper directed it. A landmark counterculture film made on $400,000. And it grossed $60 million. Worldwide, it changed movie making forever. Easy Rider, historically fascinating movie, and another look at that time. And uh, oh, it has a horrible ending. But <laughs> anyways, by uh, horrible, by horrible, I mean it ain't happy. Um. So that's my recommendation, Easy Rider.
0: All righty. So we're going to sneak on over here to the lobby, or at least uh, walk our way to the lobby here, because it's almost time to say goodbye. Now, Toppy, if you could reach up there for me, and we've got a little history. This place used to be a vaudeville venue, and we had some folks doing sleight of hand. A magician, he left a bag of coins. Hand me that there, sir. There you go. Okay, we're going to tell you what's coming up. All right. Open that capsule here. Okay, so folks, we do this show on the first and third Friday of the month. So uh, there's no more shows until after Turkey Day, and we're going to take a break next month so we can enjoy the holiday season. But we've got one more show to give you that's going to be on Friday, December 4th. And, of course, at 9 p.m. Eastern all right. So this capsule here. This is an early 2000s comedy. So it's a more recent film. It's a comedy mm. drama, and uh, the story is a young woman is called upon by her sister to help keep her retirement home afloat during the holidays. Of course, with no help from the sourpuss residents. This film stars. Marvel's Agent Carter, Haley Atwell, and the mother from the film My Left Foot, Brenda Fricker.
1: I love that name, Brenda Fricker.
0: Also appearances by uh, Imelda Staunton and uh, Josh, I'm forgetting his name, uh, English actor. On Friday, December 4th, we're going to be watching and discussing How About You. Hmm. That would be interesting. And uh, we also have a little watch party we're going to be organizing, but we'll tell you about that after we roll that beautiful bean footage. Toppy, could you let uh, the folks uh, know what time it is uh say goodnight, Gracie? Good night, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live the first and third Friday of each month. Go to univospods.net,
1: click the tower for audio, enter Discord for chat.
0: You can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Tweet us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Join our Facebook group.
1: Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a future show or just want to message us? Email us at matinee at gmail.com. Oliver.
2: This has been an Ollie Bug production.
1: I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You
0: have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice.
2: Unique Voices in Podcasting,
0: univazpods.net.